Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 59, let's look at verse 1 together, and I'm going to be ministering on a subject that's important for every believer. Every believer. Uh, I want to talk to you about being effective in your prayer life. And this is the subject that I've been ministering on uh, in the other campus while pastor has been here. And so I do encourage you uh, to go and to take advantage of the uh, YouTube videos from the Little Rock campus or the podcast. You know, we do have two podcasts, so you can have both of them on your phone and just soak in the word. Uh, but in this teaching, I want to uh, emphasize the, uh, the weightiness of our prayers, of your prayers, how weighty your prayers are. And so let's begin here in Isaiah 59 and let's look at verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that there's nothing God can't reach into a situation and touch it and turn it and change it? Amen? The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. He can reach uh, uh, people that uh, others may say are unreachable. He can reach them no matter how far in addiction they might be tonight. He can reach them no matter how lost they might be in an alternate lifestyle, in a, a lifestyle that's contrary to the Word of God. No matter what the situation may be, His hand is not shortened that it cannot save. And then it says this, Neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. God can hear our calling to Him. God can hear our prayers to Him. Psalm chapter 34 and verse 15 also corroborates this truth concerning God hearing. Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. Now we have a specific because we know who we are, don't we? We know who we are, don't we? We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when this, when anytime you find a verse that talks about the righteous, you better perk up your ears and you better identify yourself. This is a GPS coordinate for me. This one tells me where I am on the map. Amen? The ears of the Lord are open to my voice. The ears of the Lord are open to my cry. Verse 17 of this same chapter says, The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all. Can you say all with me? All. All their troubles. The Lord hears and delivers. Notice the delivering comes Subsequent to the hearing, he hears first and then he responds to what he has heard. He responds to the cry of the righteous and delivers out of them all. 
Praise God. Chapter 145 of the book of Psalms. Psalm 145 and verses 18 and 19. And I'm moving a little bit quickly through these because I'm going somewhere tonight. And I'm, I want to lay this groundwork of the weightiness of our prayers. Psalm 145 verse 18. The Lord is near unto all them that call upon him. To all that call upon him and to all that call upon him in truth. Now we know Jesus taught us in John 17, 17 that God's word is truth. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. So when we call to God on the basis of his word, we are calling to him in truth. We are calling to him based on what he has already established to be his will. So we identify that here in this word truth. It says his, uh, he is near. So not only does he hear, but now we have identified his location when we begin to lift up our voice and to call upon him. The Lord is near uh, to all that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save. And the word save means to rescue. The word save means to help. The word save means to deliver. It means to liberate. It means to liberate financially. It means to liberate from sickness or disease. It is a, a word that would cover every area of our life. So we're not just identifying being born again, are we? The Lord will hear and he will rescue them. He will liberate them. He will deliver them. That's important to us, isn't it? So as we recognize the verses telling us that God will respond, we also see that there is a lifting up of our voice involved in the response, that he responds to our calling for him. He responds to our asking him for help. He responds to our reaching out to him first. Amen? Now I want to look at two verses in the New Testament that show us uh, the activity of our prayer. So we've seen uh, the, the weightiness of our prayer. And I want to look here in Revelation chapter 5. And I want us to see that our prayers don't stop after they leave our lips. So you may pray and you may think, well, I prayed and then it was all done. You know, it was just one uh, execution of my prayer. It came out of my lips. I prayed the prayer to God. And now it, where is it? Where did it go? It's just gone. It was like a vapor of smoke and it came out of my, my, my heart and I prayed it to God and now it no longer exists. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that our prayers are still present. Where are they? Well, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8 says, When, this is talking about heaven around the throne, the activity around the throne. Aren't you glad that the apostle John, John the Revelator, aren't you glad that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day? He saw things that let us know what takes place in heaven. And this is discussing uh, what he saw. And he is able to describe for us what it is like around the throne of God. And in verse 8 it says, When he had taken up the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, 
having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, or my center column reference says incense. We would probably say essential oils today, wouldn't we? Uh, or, or if you got your scented candles, you were thinking of something that is coming up like a smoke or coming up like a vapor. It has a beautiful smell to it, full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So for us to think that once we pray a prayer, it's just done, it's over, it's no longer active, it's no longer present, would not be scriptural, would it? Because we see that our prayers are present at the throne of God. I have another scripture for you in verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. Chapter 8 of Revelation, again, talking about the presence of God around the throne of God. 8.3 says, Another angel came and stood at the altar. So now we know where we are there, around the presence of God, around the throne, where the altar is. They came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. The prayers of all saints, would that include you? So we know, we know that saints aren't talking about St. Peter and St. Uh, we're, we're we know that we're the saints. We're the ones that are made holy by the blood. Our prayers, all, that means Jillian, your prayers are at the altar. Your prayers are at the altar. Your prayers are at the altar. My prayers, our prayers are at the altar of God. Hallelujah. Coming up before him, verse 4 says, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God. So the prayers are coming up in his presence, ascending up, and he thinks your prayer smells good. He thinks that your prayer is, is, is something that he enjoys. Amen? Now, I have another reference in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We would normally look at this to identify uh, giving, but it is not giving that's listed first in this verse. Acts chapter 10, let's look at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Cornelius wasn't even born again yet. He did not know how to be born again. He had not heard Jesus preach to him. But he had a heart that was hungry for God. And he was doing what he knew to do and it, his prayers, but out of that hungry heart reaching for God, were still reaching God. Look at verse 4. It says, this angel, let's, I'll go ahead and read 3. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. When he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial 
before God. The prayers of a man who's just hungry for God doesn't even have the right standing through the blood yet. How much more those of us who are washed and made righteous and sons and daughters who have bold entrance into the throne of God, we come boldly to the throne of God to receive help in time of need. How much more are our prayers coming up before Him? This word memorial means uh, something that serves to keep in the memory. Something that serves to keep in the memory. And, and when I think of that, I think of how uh, Kenneth Copeland's mother would pray for him. And she said, I would just, you know, it was the prayer of faith, but it was also the prayer of intercession. And so she was using her faith in intercession and she was reminding God what his promise was about her son. And years later, after he was, uh, had worldwide influence, she said, I just wanted him saved. I'm glad for everything else that came with it, but her prayers that were continually coming up as a memorial before God, Lord, you promised to save my children. Lord, you promised to save my son. Lord, you promised, and just bringing it up as a, a memorial, something to act on the memory, to serve as a, a uh, to keep in the memory before God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I want us to recognize the weightiness of our prayer and the activity of our prayer. And I want us to have confidence in prayer. I want us to get to the place where we are skilled in prayer. Brother Hagen made the statement often, now hear me when I say it, he said, when I learned how to pray, I never had any unanswered prayers. But, but hear what the first part of that, when I learned how to pray. When I learned how to pray, because the way God designed prayer should be, He has designed prayer for us to have accuracy in prayer every time if we are doing it in line with His design. Amen? And so in 1 John it says, this is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Can you look at that with me? 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 this is the confidence that we have in Him. And so to have this confidence, we're going to have to have this kind of skill, aren't we? This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. You could say, if I come to Him according to His word. Which is what he was saying, that the righteous ask in truth. Why? Because I know what his will is. His will is in his word. And if I come on the basis of his word, I'm not trying to convince God to do anything. Prayer is not a time for us to talk God into stuff. To go with our will and try to get him to, to get in line with our will. Prayer, the accuracy in prayer is coming already knowledgeable what God wants to do based on His Word and us laying hold of that will with our righteous position as His child, with our righteous position as a man, male and female, on the earth who are standing in right position with God. We've been granted authority here. You have more authority than any of the devil. 
the, dev the devil's children, the people who are unsaved, any demon, you've got authority here. Why? Because you're a man or woman alive unto God and human. Charles Capp said, uh, if you want to uh, recognize your authority, just pull out your birth certificate. If you've got a birth certificate, you've got more authority than any demon on the planet. You've got authority over all of them because you were born here. And that's why the, the begats are valuable to your faith. <laughs> Don't overlook the begats. You know what I mean by the begats? You know, here in Matthew chapter 1, it, it starts telling you the lineage. It starts going through all these people. And you think, oh my goodness, I'm trying to read through the Bible in a year and I got to read begats. Adam begat Amenadab, and Amenadab begat Naasun, and Naasun begat... Am I going to get through this Bible in a year? I don't know, because all these begats. And so I used to think, why did they even put the begats in the Bible? But if you're trying to stand in authority, you've got to know that Jesus came legally as a man. And because he came legally as a man, he made it available for you to be born again. And as a righteous child of God and a human on this planet, you are now the one who has the power to calm the wind and the waves. And you are now the one who has the ability to uh, cast the demon out and to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover in the name of Jesus. And so the authority that we have is because of our position in the family as a child of God, as one submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have access to the Father to receive of Him. This is the confidence that we have if we ask anything according to His will. He hears us. Say that with me just three times. He hears me. He hears me. He hears me. Hallelujah. So it's not just the pastor. I don't just need the pastor to pray for me and then I'll get it. I don't just need sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so who they seem so spiritual. You have prayers that are at the throne of God. Your prayers are sweet to God. Your prayers are in His presence. And He wants you to have this same confidence that He hears you. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, whatsoever we ask, does that just pull the limits off right there? Whatsoever we ask. Well, what if I ask God to help me get out of debt? It's his will. Hallelujah. He, he's up for that. He'll help you. Amen. Whatsoever we ask. Now, there may be some obedience, some leading, and some guiding. There may be some things that he brings you to, some wisdom that he brings your way in, in fulfilling that prayer. Praise God. But he'll help you nonetheless. Amen? So if we know that he hears us, we know that we have. If we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have. And that's where a lot of people miss it. They might think God hears me, but they don't have that same confidence that if he hears me, I have it. If we know he hears, we know we have. Is that in your Bible? Is that just my Bible? Says your Bible say that? Okay, just checking. 
Just checking, okay? We want to make sure that's something that, that, is, that is written. Because then we can stand on it, can't we? If we know he hears, we know we have. Now in the book of James, he says you have not because you ask not. And then he said you, don't, you, you ask, but you ask amiss. And then he identified that they were asking from a fleshly standpoint. So they, they weren't coming on the basis of the word. If we come on the basis of the word, then that is our foundation for the prayer. That is the foundation for the asking. Now, uh, when I first heard this, I didn't quite understand some of the uh, logistics of how God had established on the planet. But John Wesley, who was a foundational minister in uh, the faith, a pioneer in the faith, in I think it was the 1800s, he said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. And at the time, I didn't have the same, the first time I heard that, I had that, I still had some of that uh, erroneous idea of what God is sovereign means. And, and a lot of people still have that erroneous idea of what God is sovereign means. And, and I want to just touch on it for a moment and uh, clarify in case you've ever thought that way. Because when we talk about that word sovereign, God is sovereign, what does that mean? What does it mean that God is sovereign? Well, what a lot of people means is all of the stuff they can't explain, they just put it under that God is sovereign category. I don't know why that person died. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why that tragedy occurred. I don't know why this. I don't know why. But God is sovereign. And, and that, that is their explanation for the things that they can't explain. But a lot of what happens is because there's a devil loose. And then there's a lot of other stuff that happens because people have flesh and they haven't put it under control. And then there's a lot of other stuff that happens because there's a curse on the planet that is in full operation, in full swing, full momentum. Amen? Amen. And so the, when, when the news says that a tornado was an act of God, you can't find that in Scripture. Jesus dealt with a hurricane that was on the, the waters where they were. It says there was a, a storm of hurricane proportion. The Amplified Bible identifies one of those storms. And Jesus spoke to it and stilled the storm. So if God was the author of that storm and Jesus was, was destroying or undoing the storm, the Bible says he came to undo the works of the devil. Why would be he be undoing God's works if God was the one acting behind the hurricane or acting behind the tornado. Why was Jesus going around undoing the Father's works? They weren't the Father's works. If it destroys, it's not God. Right. Amen? Amen? And when people, uh, you know, every major thing that's happened, it's God judging. Well, what about it being uh, a, a harvest of, of sinfulness? You know, one of the things that Pastor Caldwell said in the recent message that he was ministering uh, in the, the Little Rock campus, he said God dealt with him about some things specifically, and he came that night, and he ministered, and he asked God. He said, I asked God, God, I know of men who are uh, of national influence in the body of Christ 
who have spoken to that and told it to die. What is, what is it? That, and he said, I've prayed about it. I've prayed against it. Why aren't we moving this? And God dealt with him. It's a harvest of sinfulness. It's, it's what's coming up because of decisions that sinful people have made. Well, God kept the children of Israel even though Pharaoh was experiencing a harvest of their hard-heartedness and sinfulness, God was able to keep his people in Goshen. God can keep us. God can keep us. We are going to continue seeing sin abounding because the Word of God told us we would see sin abounding. And that's why the grace of God, the keeping power of God, the, the uh, provision of God, the safety of God, the peace of God is going to be more prevalent than ever in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. So when, when people say that, when people take all of those things and lump it under God doing it, God's responsible for that, then they're not identifying the responsibility that God delegated on the earth to Adam and the uh, result of Adam's fall and the curse and the enemy having a position of influence that although he is the God of this world, he has no authority over you. Jesus has defeated the devil and he's defeated sin and he's defeated the grave for us. So we don't have to submit to the grave because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I will not feel death. If I go before the rapture, I won't feel it because he's tasted it for me. And I will instantly be in the presence of the Lord because death has no power over me. I have eternal life dwelling in me now. And that means sickness has no power over me either. I'm redeemed from the curse. Hallelujah. So when we we have this idea of whatever's going to happen is going to happen, then the person who thinks that way is not going to pray effectively. Because why why does it matter if I pray? If God's just going to do what he wants to do anyway, why, why does it matter if I pray? Because God's just going to do what he wants. But that's not scriptural. He wanted it not to rain. But Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. He went and told Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say it won't rain. But then James chapter 5 says, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Let's look at it. James chapter 5. Because... This is, let me say again what John Wesley said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Why? He delegated authority on the earth to man. He delegated authority on the earth to man. So the basis of prayer is asking... God in line with His will. Well, if it's His will, why do I have to ask? Because He delegated authority to man on the earth. He needs somebody to open the door. He needs somebody to authorize His movement. He he delegated 
the authority and when we ask, we're inviting his power into the situation. We're inviting him to open the eyes of our loved one's understanding. We're inviting him to move on their heart. We are inviting him to send laborers across their path. And that invitation is a covenant legal invitation. And the enemy can come and try to dispute it. And the devil can say, you can't deal with that person. You don't have any authority here. And he said, their mother asked me. I have all authority to be here because their mother asked me to do this. Their mother asked me to draw their... Their father asked me to do this. Right? My covenant partner invited me into this situation. So in James chapter 5, Let's read verses 16 through 18. It says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. The Weiss translation says, A prayer of a righteous person is able to do much as it operates. The prayer of a righteous person is able to do much. The young livings, which I often refer to as the Yoda version, very strong is a working supplication of a righteous man. Can you just see Yoda saying that one? Very strong is a righteous supplication of a righteous man. The Young's Living says it has a powerful, I'm sorry, the, the Moffat says it has a powerful effect, a powerful effect. And the Amplified, of course, let's put that one on the screen. Uh, it says uh, it makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. The prayer of the righteous makes tremendous power available. I like that. You know, there's power available because there are lines running to this building. And this building is wired for electricity. We've made it available by wiring it into the building. When they built the building, they included the wires in the rafters so that there could be light fixtures along the walls and electrical outlets. Uh, without that, there wouldn't be power in the building. If this building had not been wired for electricity, if there had not been any made available, we would have to run a plug from somewhere else <laughs> and with a very long cord from next door. You know, maybe we could just ask the neighbor next door, just let me run some electricity from your house because there's none available. But, but God says that our prayers wire people's lives with power. It, it places power available, so all they have to do is flip the switch on, and then power is available in their house. Power is available in their life. So you're praying for your children. You're wiring their life with the power of God. You're making it available. Amen? When you're praying for your loved ones, you're praying for your church family, praying for your pastor, imagine how much progress our church family can make as we begin to learn how to pray for our man of God in a way that, that wires him with some nuclear power, you know, some Holy Ghost power so that we can put the rockets on what he's, the vision of this church is. Amen? So it makes tremendous power available dynamic in its working. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. 
And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And guess what happened? It rained not. He prayed. Now, we know from hindsight, we know from the story, God told him it was the will of God. So if it was the will of God that it not rain, why did he have to pray earnestly? Because God gave man authority. God gave man authority. So he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. When the time came, God sent him down to tell Ahab, he said, it's going to rain, and you better get up and get your horses and get back to town because it's going to rain. And then he went up on the mountain, and what did he do? He began to pray. And then we know the story. He sent his uh, 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 assistant to go check. He said, go look and see if there's any evidence that rain is coming back. And he came back and he said, there's nothing. There's no evidence that there's any rain coming. And so he stayed in prayer. He stayed in prayer and then he sent him again. And he came back again. He said, no, sir, I don't see anything. There's no indication that it's going to rain. And then he sent him back. He stayed praying. He's continuing to pray. So he's praying earnestly until he gets that release, until he sees some progress in his praying. And then he comes back the third time. He sent his uh, assistant, and his assistant came back, and he said, I know this isn't much, but I just see a cloud. It's about the size of a man's hand. He goes, oh, oh, come on. We better go. We got, got to go. Got to, got to go. Got to go. And he outran the... King's chariots, which are the fastest chariots in the nation, in the power of his praying. Can you imagine? Because you know it wasn't in his natural. It indicates he outran the king's chariots. Well, what is he running in? He's running in that momentum he'd gained in prayer. He's running in the power of that praying, the anointing that he was uh, accessing in prayer, the power that he was making available, tremendous power dynamic, and it's working, that brought the clouds where there hadn't been any rain in three years, but he just prayed it down. Hallelujah. And where are your prayers? Where are your prayers, Jeremy? Your prayers are at the throne of God? And, and, your prayers are at the th and your prayers are at the throne of God? Oh, we got to pray some things down. Amen. We got to pray some things. Hey, listen, there, were, there was something that needed to stop. The rain needed to stop in the will of God. And he prayed it, and it stopped. And then the rain needed to start for the will of God to be done in that situation, and he prayed it, and it started. Hallelujah. And there are some things that need to be done in our situations, in our families, in our church family, in the things that, in our, our nation, in our, our community. We can stop it and we can start it. We can influence with the, the power that we make available in prayer. Hallelujah. Charles Finney, another great uh, uh, pioneer of the faith. Charles Finney once said, I had some experiences in prayer that indeed alarmed me. I love this. I love this. Charles Finney, this great revivalist, this great man of God, 
He said, I have had some prayers, some experiences in prayer that indeed alarmed me. I found myself saying to the Lord, Lord, you don't think we're not going to have revival here, do you? And it shocked him when he said it. It came out of his mouth. Lord, you don't think we're not going to have revival here, do you? And he said, and I found myself quoting scripture after scripture to the Lord, putting him in remembrance of all he had said concerning revival and prayer. Now, when he moved over into that place in prayer and became bold in his praying and praying uh, uh, in a way that later, you know, it, it had to have been an Urkel moment for him. Did I say that? <laughs> he had to have questioned, did that really come out of my mouth in the presence of God Almighty? Was I really talking to God that way? Did I say that? Y'all probably don't even know who Urkel is, do you? Jillian's like, I don't know, no, 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 Urkel. <laughs> don't know anything about Urkel. Google him. <laughs> Just Google, did I say that? I am reminded of an experience. Now, we know the impact that Kenneth Hagin had on our lives. But he says back in the early part, he was still pastoring, early part of his ministry, that something happened that he didn't even talk about for a number of years before he ever preached on it. It was years before he preached about this occurrence. He was pastoring in a uh, part of West Texas. They did a lot of oil drilling, drilling of wells. They had oil rigs uh, there in the community, and a lot of his people were uh, working in the oil fields. And the superintendent of his Sunday school was one of those who had a job working on an oil rig there uh, in the community. And he said they were out one day uh, driving around uh, with, the, he had an evangelist in town. And so they were advertising the meeting by a, a loudspeaker on top of their car. This is back in the 50s, y'all. And they were driving around letting people know about the meeting that was going to take place. And he said, I had to stop by where my Sunday school superintendent worked because he had to help me get something connected on my overhead speaker. And so uh, he said, we, we left from there and we're driving through town. And somebody pulls up behind me honking, pulls us over and says, uh, there was an accident at the oil rig, and brother so-and-so has fallen into the oil rig. They're calling for you, and they're calling for his wife. They don't think he's going to make it. He said, I just saw him. I just saw him. He was fine just a few moments ago. I just left there. And they said, well, after you left, he fell into a, a, a part of the, the machinery, and they don't think he's going to make it. And the doctor is there. And so the town doctor was there, and they didn't really have ambulances. They were going to put him in the back of a, a vehicle to try to take him, but the doctor didn't think he was going to make it. He was kind of waiting to pronounce him dead at the scene. And he comes over, and he tells Brother Hagen, you need to help his wife. So when Brother Hagen gets there, the doctor says, you need to help his wife because I, I don't think he's even going to make it for us to get him to the hospital. 
And so he walks over to where the wife is getting out of the car and walking over. And uh, she, he, she sees the look on Brother Hagen's face. And she says, the doctor doesn't think he's going to make it, does he? And Brother Hagen shook his head and said, no, ma'am. And she said, well, we have inside information. We have inside information. She was talking about the information inside the Bible. We have inside information. And so the doctor was just kind of waiting, and he finally realized the man's not dying. Let me at least try to get him to the hospital. They loaded him in the back of that station wagon. The doctor climbed in the back. They went to the hospital, and the whole way he's expecting at any moment to lose him. Gets to the hospital. The man's still hanging on. They take him in, and there's not the same kind of medical treatment that we have today to help people who are in traumas like this and so they can't do a lot of the treatments they're just trying to get him to a stable place before they could do any treatment and they are expecting him to die any moment and so uh, they set up so that his wife would stay with him during the day and brother Hagen would go and stay at night and so he said the first day and first night second day second night and he said about that third night he was getting tired physically because he had been you know taking care of his church responsibilities during the day and then going there and staying awake praying over this man uh, through the night and he said so you know if I sat down I, I got sleepy and he said it seemed like when I would start to fall asleep he would start to die and the, the, he said I woke up and the nurse was checking his fingers and she said I thought he passed but he's still alive and so Brother Hagen said, it seemed like every time I started to fall asleep, he would start to slip away. And so he said, I went out into the hallway, and I'm walking around the hallway. Now, he's been praying three days. He's been standing with the wife three days. She's getting weary. He's getting weary. He said, I began walking through the hall that night, and he said, I prayed in a way that I shocked myself when I prayed it. I was shocked that it, what I said came out of my mouth. He said, Lord... I can't let him die. I need him, and if I need him, you need him. He said he's the best Sunday school superintendent I've ever had. He's the first one that actually did his job. All these other people just stood around and, and, and didn't do anything to help me, but he actually you know, goes out and visits people if they miss Sunday school. He helps me keep people connected in the church. He said he's the only man tithing in my church, Lord. If I need him, you need him. And he said I stood there in the hallway and argued my case before the Lord and I kept saying Lord if I need him you need him and I, I need him I need him in this church I need him and and he said it shocked me how bold he was in asking for it but that's just the place he had gotten to Lord if I need him you need him and throughout the night as that man would start to slip brother Hagen would go into the hallway and he that was where he just stayed right there if I need him you need him and Lord I'm not letting him die I'm just not going to let him die. If I need him, you need him. Well, the next morning, the man started turning for the, for the good. He started, and the doctors came in, and they were shocked. They said, look, he's getting better, and they started doing treatment on him, started getting him better, and a few months later, he had recovered and came to, back to church and was testifying, 
Brother Hagen had not told anybody how he prayed. He didn't tell his wife. He said, I was kind of embarrassed because I didn't know if it was right for me to pray that way. All I could think of was where the Lord said, uh, uh, come, uh, let us reason together. Let us reason together. And he said, I had not told my wife and I had not told him how I had prayed. But this man stands up in the pulpit and he begins to testify. He said, you know, while I was, he said, I didn't feel anything when I went into that uh, machinery. I didn't feel any pain. I didn't feel anything. Uh, it, it, I never knew anything till I woke up. He said, but during the time that I was out, he said, I went to heaven. And he was encouraging people. He said how beautiful it was and how that, you know, if they had loved ones that were there, not to be sad because they were, they wouldn't come back. That's what the man said. They wouldn't come back if they could. And he said, uh, he said it was wonderful. It was beautiful. And I saw this choir and he was talking about the different things. And he said, um, but at one point I, I hadn't got very far in and, and to see much. And uh, the Lord told me I had to come back. And I said, Lord, I don't want to come back. And he said, you have to go back. He said, Lord, I don't want to go back. Can I stay here? I don't want to go back. And the Lord said, you have to go back. And then the man said, now Brother Hagin had not told him how he prayed. The man said, the Lord reached over as if he was pulling back a curtain. And he pulled back and on this curtain he could see Brother Hagin. He said, Brother Hagin won't let you come. Brother Hagen won't let you come. And, and then the next thing he knew, he woke up in his body. Brother Hagen said, I never mentioned it. He still didn't tell people how he prayed for years after that until he grew in the word and could explain it. It so shocked him. It wasn't something he took lightly. And that's what Charles Finney is saying. He was saying... It shocked me how I prayed. It shocked me how I got over into a place and talking with God that I was, I was reasoning with Him on the basis of His Word. It was Scripture. He said, I, was, I began quoting Scripture to God, Scripture to God. And Brother Hagin was saying, if I need Him, you need Him. <laughs> he, was, he was pleading his case before the Lord. In a boldness that so shocked him, he still didn't talk about it for a number of years later. And, and he, didn't, he, he did teach about it, uh, but, but it was something that he did not treat uh, lightly. Getting into that place, that conversation with the Lord. Amen? Amen. So when, when Brother Charles Finney said he had experiences in prayer that indeed alarmed him, saying to the Lord, Lord, you don't think we're not going to have revival here, do you? We understand he wasn't being disrespectful. Being bold in the presence of God is not being disrespectful. He wasn't trying to get God to do something God didn't want to do, but he was standing in a place uh, for the will of God, standing in a place to have the will of God done on the earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that what Jesus told us to pray? He said, pray that God's will be done. Well, if it's God's will, why do I have to pray that it be done? 
Why do I have to earnestly contend for it? Why do I have to, to bring that strength in prayer? Why do I have to lay hold of it in prayer? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not contending against God. We're not trying to get God to do something He doesn't want to do. We're taking a place of authority. We're taking a covenant position. And we're saying what happens in this world is not dictated by the devil. It's not dictated by the curse. But we're going to see God's plan in this family. We're going to see God's will be done in our family. This house is going to see the manifestation of the will of God in our house. Amen? My life is going to experience the blessing, the fullness of the blessing. When I come, I'm coming in the fullness of the blessing. Hallelujah. So this praying is something that uh, is uh, an activator for the will of God, an initiation, uh, something that initiates that activity of God in that situation, gives him legal access to come into that area and begin to work. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And yet we've got to learn how to pray effectively. We've got to learn how to pray effectively. So, uh, that's the, the, the preliminary. I'm not going to try to move into any other part because I don't want to get, get just part of the way in and not be able to finish, but we've laid the groundwork for something here, haven't we? We've recognized that our prayers are not just empty petitions that are coming out of our mouth and falling dead to the ground. We've recognized that our prayers continue coming from our lips and going into the presence of God and standing as a memory, a memorial before Him, reminding Him that we're on the earth calling for His will to be done. Reminding Him that we're standing on His Word. He is watching over His Word to perform it. And we're keeping His Word in our heart and in our mouth. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Father, thank You for this privilege of prayer. And Lord, it is my desire and my prayer as the co-pastor here, Father, as a, a shepherdess of your people, Father, that each one of us would be skillful in our praying, that we would learn how to pray accurately, that we would learn how to uh, ask in line with your will and have this same confidence, Lord, that we would have the confidence uh, that is identified in 1 John 5, 4, this confidence that we know we have because we know you hear us. And Lord, I ask that for every believer in this church, every person in this church to be skillful in prayer and, and responsible with that skill, not just having the ability, but Father, exercising the ability. And Father, that you would find us available, that we would be available in prayer. Hallelujah. 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 Would you just lift your hands to the Lord right now and just make yourself available? Hallelujah. Just, just agree with His will. Say, Father, I want your will in my life, in my family, in my community. My part in prayer, I submit to it. I am your willing vessel. 
Teach me what I need to know to be proficient in prayer. In Jesus' name, praise God.